back to the podcast, the Coaches Rising podcast. I hope you are well. And in this conversation today, I'm going to be speaking with Paul Lawrence, and we're going to talk about systemic coaching and thinking. I'm a bit late to this subject, and the more I learn about it, the more it's expanding my sense of the role that coaches can play and what coaching is. I think it's I think it's a really important topic. And so today we'll talk about. Uh, these five orders of systemic thinking and how they become increasingly sophisticated. What are the kind of qualities that leaders embody at each of those orders? And we'll talk about how we can support the people that we work with to expand their thinking if necessary, if we feel that it's too, perhaps too um, limited and linear. So uh, we'll also talk about um, some of the pitfalls of defining what coaching is. You know, there's a real move now to define this is what coaching is, but that creates issues. And we'll talk about team coaching as well. How do you apply systemic thinking within team coaching? I think that's fascinating too. So Paul Lawrence is, uh, he's a coach. He's been a coach, I think, for more than um, 13, 14, 15 years. And he is um, uh, an author. He's authored, I think, four books, including recently the book Coaching Systemically, uh, which is a, gr- a great quote on the back of that from Jennifer Garvey Berger. And um, yeah, he's also just looking here, you know, he teaches coaching on the master's program at Sydney Business School and is an associate at Oxford Brooks University in the UK. Uh, there's plenty of white papers on his website too he'll share links to all of those in the podcast so let's dive in huh this is the podcast with paul lawrence so paul good to be with you today how's things with you yeah things are really good thanks joe yeah i know you're out in uh, australia at the moment but you're originally from the uk that's right yeah i was uh from the uk and, and migrated out here permanently about 17 years ago yeah to sydney i'm based in sydney great maybe it'd be good before we talk about our topic today systemic coaching um to hear a little bit about just the work you're doing in the world you know uh, just to set a bit of context for our conversation yeah sure so what would you like to know yeah just like um you know i know you you work as a coach and um you're an author perhaps you could just say a few things about, you know, what is it that's driving you or you're passionate about and who are the kinds of people you're, you're working with? So I've been working as an external coach since about 2007. And I also do work in the leadership development space um, and the change space as well. And I've been working as a, or doing research I'm not, I can't even remember how long I've been doing that for, probably about 10 years. Um, and I've published about 10 academic articles. The fourth book's just come out. Um, and I do. I teach at Sydney Business School on their master's programme. Um, I look after the AC and the Association of Coach Supervisors in this part of the world. And... Um, um, and have connect. I'm a research associate with Oxford Brooks in the UK. Um, I mean, you talked about my motivation. I, th- I think my motivation is is that I think coaching's in a in a really good place. 
uh, and I think it can be in an even better space. And I think we'll get to a better space by just being curious and 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 carrying on learning and and collaborating with each other. And 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 I, I guess that's where my head's at. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, because what I, I know you said there, like you feel like coaching's in a good space, but mm. my I guess my slightly provocative question would be. Yeah. Yeah, what what what's getting in the way of it being in an even better space right now? What do you see? You know, it's needed. Um, again, if I if I was to be provocative back, I'd say that one of the things that I think gets in the way is, uh, or some 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 parts of our community be really really determined to ring fence what we're doing and put boundaries around what we're doing often in the name of professionalization. Uh, I don't personally see the, 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 the real logic for trying to professionalize something like coaching. And I say the downside is I think we tend to be somewhat blind to the wisdom and, and insights from outside of our community. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this determination to professionalize and an attempt to kind of nail coaching down in terms of specific competencies I just think is oversimplifying it. Uh, I think the essence of coaching is our capacity to relate to each other in, 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 a, in an effective way as human beings. And there's so much more to be learned in that space. And uh, as I said, the whole professionalization agenda, I, I personally think is a little bit absurd from that perspective. Yeah. Cause could you say a bit more about the, what you see, the, the kind of uh, ring fencing you see, and then what that's the impact that's having in terms of um you know the evolution or the you know the continued continued growth of the power of coaching if you yeah if again i'm I'm not trying to trash other people's perspectives this is a very personal view but um i have been involved with at least a couple of the coaching associations and have come across folks who's in that coaching space who whose view is if I learn these 12 or 13 or it doesn't matter how many there are, if I learn these 12 or 13 competencies then I'm going to be a good coach and my journey to becoming an even better coach is to get better at those 12 or 13 competencies um I think the our literature and, and all the narrative around complexity um, and some of the work happening in the OD space, not necessarily in the coaching space, and I think particularly of the work of people like Ralph Stacey, suggests that if we really do want to be effective in, in these very complex environments, we need, we need, we need to reflect that in, in, in our approach. And we're not going to be, leaders are not going to be brilliant in, as, as leaders, and coaches are not going to be great as coaches if we, if we try and simplify coaching or leadership in that way. Stacey talks about practical judgment, which is that piece around continuing to experiment the value of experience and the reflection on that experience in terms of being able to respond in the moment in the most agile and responsive way. And, and that's, that's a very different perspective on coaching. And I think it spooks people because it's somewhat intangible um, and it's very hard to put boundaries around in the way that we like to put boundaries around professions. That, that's kind of where I'm coming from. Yeah. Just to make, you know, I love, that's why I love being on this podcast. Cause it's, I get to mm. ask the questions I like to, <laughs> I want to know about. So when you said, um, just to expand on that last point about, 
developing our capacity to respond to what's happening. Mm. Could you say a bit more about what you mean, mean by that? Well, well, let me take a really simple example. Um, if I was to look at it through a very pure, and I'm deliberately going to simplify this, if, I, if I'm looking at coaching through this kind of rule book of the way that I've been taught, which says things like only ask questions and don't give advice. And um, as I said, here's, here's the other 10 or 12 things. And if you do them really well, then you, you'll, you'll be a brilliant coach. Um, what happens if I, if I'm actually, I find myself opposite somebody and I just have an intuition around how I can be most useful in that moment? And the way that I intuitively think that I can be most effective in that moment doesn't necessarily correspond with the rules that I've been taught at coaching school. Um, the, the issue then is, well, and I'm, I, I come from a, uh, a very much an evidence-based background. So, um, but nevertheless, I'm talking about intuition in that space of I've coached for, you know, 6,000, 10,000 hours, whatever, and just have an intuition that's based on, that is based on that experience and is based on this this kind of rabid curiosity to find out more. So I have, a, I have a knowledge base, I have my experience, and that intuition is telling me to do X, Y, Z. Yeah. I don't know about you, but that sounds to me like this space where real mastery can come in, where we move beyond that set of um, principles or axioms of what we hold being a coach to be, yeah. and we're able to act upon those, you know, so that, so that they don't become... Um, you know, like limitations and, yes. you know, behold, you know, kind of hold us in tight to and limit possibilities, you know, like I think we ought this space when, you know, we're fully present and attuned to that intuition. And yes, we've got all the, the, the principles, the methods, but we're, we're, we're kind of like able to take perspective on those. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And, and I think, as I said, in this quest to kind of professionalize things, the, the the challenge there is how do you how do you make tangible and measurable mastery? Um, I don't see how you do that. Uh, I think it was Clotterbach who who suggested I can't, I can't quite remember the context, but some evidence that suggested that so-called master coaches are actually there's no evidence to suggest they're any more effective than people who just started coaching. And if that's the case, then the way that we're trying to define mastery just isn't working. And, and I don't see how you define it in concrete, tangible terms. And there lies the predicament. Right. I think this is such a, a rich um rich conversation already and it makes me think of um the gregory bateson quote that i think you put in the email and i don't know if this is completely connected or not maybe not at all but uh i think he said something like purposeful pragmatic action often results in disaster and uh, we overestimate our capacity to understand the world around us and so yeah um could you could you say how that to you for you connects to leadership and to the you know we can move now more into the systemic work um, and to coaching as well you know like how hmm. that applies to coaching yeah yeah um, so the adult development uh, a lot of coaches are familiar with the adult development material which talks about different levels of development and and how those levels of development are about just different ways of making meaning of the world and and the systemic narrative i think is similar but different and related which says there are different ways of thinking about the world in terms of systems um totally different ways of thinking 
And so the question then is, which ways of thinking do we have access to? Now, because there isn't really a, a kind of layman's narrative around this, I just don't think we talk about that enough. And so you, you see this, I just see, think we've seen this, it's just in your face the last sort of 12 to 18 months when we look at the way that leaders have sought to deal with COVID. Um, if you're from Europe, and I keep a close eye on what's going on in Europe, when you see what the whole, some of, some of the conversations that have taken place around Brexit, when, when you look at what's happening with climate change, is you've got leaders apparently making silly decisions and, and saying silly things. And, and the way that they, people get held to account in the media anyway, is to suggest, well, they're just not smart enough. Um, actually, I think a lot of those leaders are very smart, but it's not about how smart they are. It's about a fundamental approach to the world um, and how you think about the world. And, and you, you made the link to systemic. I think the, the, the issue is systemic, which is why I started doing all this work two years ago, is that word systemic sort of has no real tangible definition. And actually it has multiple definitions that various people have made up to support very particular uh, approaches, often quite commercial approaches. So if we can open up this whole narrative around what does systemic mean? I think it allows us to notice what's happening in the world, both, both as a leader and as a coach in a very different way, in a way that I personally think would be incredibly insightful and useful. Yeah, maybe we could actually begin to define then uh, some of the different ways we can think systemically that might be, um, you know, give us more, um, be, help us be more creative and responsive compared yeah. to, you know, some of the responses we've seen. Um, yeah, so, so I'm thinking also of that model that you shared with me, of the five uh, yeah. stages or spheres yeah. of systemic thinking. Yeah. So I said I started doing this work a couple of years ago because the uh, phenomenon like COVID and Brexit and especially climate change, suddenly you find people talking about this need to be systemic. So I'm curious about that. And I'm, I'm listening to coaches and reading their stuff. And I'm hearing a lot of coaches say, I'm, I'm systemic. And I'm, I'm trying to understand what do you mean by that? And um, I said, Mostly, it seems to me, thinking more broadly and holistically, this, this old metaphor of standing on the balcony. And I think, OK, so now you're standing on the balcony, but what sense are you making of what you're looking at? And, and I'm not hearing the response to that, other than from, as I said, a, a few folks in the leadership and coaching space who, who are talking about it really through tools. And I'm looking at their tools and I'm going, yeah, but I still don't understand the philosophy behind the tools. So that was, that was where the curiosity was born out. But the problem is, and then this is why I think we, we don't hear a lot of narrative around this, is there's hundreds of system theories. It's hundreds of, you sometimes hear people talk about systems theory. Well, there are a multitude of systems theories and the, 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 the challenge here is that they're not always because the, that literature tends to be pretty academic it's not very accessible material a lot of the time um, and so what I start what I the, the mission or the journey I embarked or started on about two years ago is I was determined to understand what these 
theories were and to be able to find a way to articulate those in a way that was much more accessible than now without trying to sell any particular systemic methodology so don't uh, don't task me how to be systemic because i'm not going to tell you what i'm going to tell you is if you look at all those theories here's a way of breaking them down or, or, or kind of um breaking down the essence of all those theories and talking about in, in, in trying to do this in really easy to understand terms. Here's five different ways of thinking about systems. And I'm hoping that that's a useful narrative that will then encourage people to go and explore further and come up with their own ways of, of summing up all those different theories. But, but let's get the conversation going. And so um, if I get that right, that the, the, we couldn't even name these five different ways of thinking. Yeah. Um, but you, that's something that you created from your research and you discovered that, ah, oh, yeah, there, there's, um, you know, if you look at them, you can sort of stack them or they, you can see that there are increasingly more sophisticated uh, ways of thinking systemically. Yes and no. I mean, I, I, I was very much influenced by the work of people like Gareth Morgan, in particular Ralph Stacey, and, and, and there, are, there are plenty of other writers who've, who've, who've done the same thing. What, what, what I did was come up with a frame that, for me, made sense that I felt was really easy to articulate, like complex adaptive systems. How do you explain it in two minutes? That was my, that was my kind of mission, as opposed to because I know people who sat through five weeks of complex adaptive systems and are still scratching their heads. So how do you articulate that concept in two minutes? Yeah. And, and what, I, what, I, what was, I think, um, original, at least it's original, I'm sure somebody else has done it, but I'm not aware of it, is talking about the metasystemic perspective, which actually puts all these systemic contexts into perspective and says, actually, you know what? Uh, organizations are not systems. Uh, so, so let's 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 expand our thinking and think through that lens as well, and and hold all of this systemic stuff somewhat lightly. Nice, yeah. W could we name those? Would you be able to take us on a little tour through those five? Yeah, absolutely. And, and the way that I often I'm doing this at the moment is to is to attempt to articulate them with reference to what we've actually seen out there with Brexit. Uh, it's not with Brexit, with COVID. You can do the same thing with Brexit, but COVID is the one that kind of everyone's interested in. Um, so would you like me to do that? Yeah, that would be great. So if you look at um, uh, certainly the beginning of COVID, we saw what, what I've called here um, a linear, uh, it's the first order perspective, it's a linear systemic approach, which, which is basically looking at stuff and looking for simple cause and effect. Of course, this is what we're built to do is just to find is to look for the simple and then, and then go, yes, brilliant. Now I understand what's going on here. And if you look at um, COVID in the early stages of COVID, we heard leaders saying things like, I've got 10 cases of COVID, but relax everybody, because, you know, even if we do nothing in 10 days time, we'll probably have 100 cases. And of course, we are going to do something. So this isn't this isn't going to explode. We can control this. And we, we saw that a lot um, at the early stages of COVID. Haven't seen it so much recently because people have had to access different ways of thinking. Um, but the premise is, well, I've got 10 cases, you know, it'll become 100 cases. It's this very linear systemic cause and effect. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. The second way of thinking is linear non-systemic. And this is where, this is where we have to, this is where the language can become very confusing because this is what Senge and Co., you know, in the fifth discipline stuff called systems thinking or something akin to it. Um, 
And it's, it's this non-linear systemic way of saying, hang on, the world is more complicated than that. So you can get, um, you can get positive feedback as well as negative feedback and stuff that I do can come back and impact on what I'm doing, you get these causal links. It's, it's all a bit more complicated than that. And so we really need to be very smart. We need to be really smart if you want to understand what's going on and, and understand this, 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 these kind of non-linear relationships. And, if, and we definitely saw this not too far on into COVID where you had leaders saying things like, whoa, we've got 10 cases of COVID, better watch out because you might have 10,000 cases of COVID in 10 days time. So we're going to have to be super smart about this. And by the way, we've, we've got 10 cases of COVID that we know about. But actually, when you think about it, we might have more than that because we're not actually that brilliant at, at spotting um, COVID when it emerges because life's complicated and some people don't report their symptoms, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So what do I need to do here as a leader? We really got to work hard to understand this thing and really disentangle it. And once you've done that, then we can control it. Got you. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. So then you've got, you talked about Bates and you've got this third way of thinking about systems, which says, you know what, what's going on here is beyond our capacity to understand, not least because we are not objective creatures. Everything we look at, Bateson got really excited when um, he saw that somebody, I think it was a zoologist, uh, found out that frogs can only see things that move and they can't see things that don't move. But as far as the frog's concerned, the frog isn't sitting there going, oh dear, I can only see the things that move. The things that the frog sees moving, that's the reality and nothing else exists. So if you chuck a load of dead flies in front of a frog, they don't exist. And you try explaining to a frog, I'm being you know, somewhat anthropomorphic here, but if you try explaining to a frog about the existence of the dead flies, going to look at you as if you're mad. And Bateson was saying basically, we're like that too. Because our perception is very is, is is kind of constructive. It's not so we see what we see, and we 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 call that reality, and we get very attached to it, and we all see things differently. So this second order perspective, which is um, uh, I kind of call it collaborative systemic, but it comes from that second order perspective, which uh, which soft systems methodology is a good example where you 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 explicitly recognise that we as individuals have a limited capacity to experience reality directly. So we need to get a group of us together to compare our different experiences of what's going on and build a hypothesis as to what's going on between us. Nice. Okay. Now, COVID, you might have seen that. Uh, I, I, I was really impressed by um, uh, certainly here in Sydney and New Zealand and some other places, places where where the, where the politicians, you, you never see them without the medical experts next to them. And, and you, you know that they're consulting widely with other people to try and build up this picture of what's happening. And this is the leader, which I didn't necessarily see too much of in politics, but I certainly saw it um, in the corporate world. So I'm doing a lot of work with a particular professional services firm at the moment. And one of their leaders said fairly early on to the rest of the staff, you know what? We don't know what's going on here. 
That's not something you hear from global leaders. We, we cannot be sure what's going on. We're talking to our offices in China and Singapore and where have you, we're, we're, who've, 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 who are on to, who've been impacted by this before us to try and build up this picture of what's going on. And we're going to continue trying to understand and, and, and adapting and reacting as we go. So that's what I would call a collaborative systemic perspective because it, it, it relies on, on collaboration. And the barrier to that among leaders is this belief in... I have got to be smart enough to understand everything by myself. And if you believe that, if that's one of your underpinning beliefs, you're, you're probably going to find it very difficult to access that collaborative systemic way of thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah. Let's keep going. Cause I can feel the questions I have um, coming yeah. up, bubbling up, but let's, I'd love to take a full tour. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, here's where I try and explain complex adaptive systems in two minutes. And I'll, I'll just tell it with a little story, which is when um, uh, just before COVID, I was, I was doing some work. I was doing some coaching skills programs in this organization. And at the tea break, morning tea, oh, everybody got stuck into this email that had done the rounds that morning where um, the senior exec team had said, we, we said we were going to pay you bonuses um, of 10 percent, but. It's going to be 8% now because the results aren't what we thought they were going to be. So we can only afford to pay 8%. And I heard a little group. I was just standing there having tea. I didn't know anything about it. So I'm just listening. And there's this group here sitting, standing to my right going, that's just not acceptable because they said 10% no matter what. Now they're saying 8%. If it was, if it was subject to performance, they should have said that up front, not 10% no matter what, but 10% if we can afford it. They didn't. They said 10% no matter what. So this is about integrity, and we're not happy. And then and I listened to that. It was really interesting. And, and you could see the kind of, yeah, yeah, everybody agreeing. This little group of four or five people. Over there to my left, someone said, huh, about time. People in this company just don't um, understand that you can only pay out what you earn. And this is, this is a great opportunity to let people know, just, you know, you can only, you can only pay what you can afford. And this, this is brilliant. And I'm really glad that they did this. Now you can, and those are the two conversations that was happening. And as I noticed these little groups, you could see that meaning making was social and this oh, passion was growing. And I thought, I wonder what they're talking about upstairs. And I wonder what they're talking about downstairs. And I wonder what they're talking about in the cafe. And you can imagine all of these local interactions taking place and and these different meanings emerging from these different interactions and then people from those different groups talking to each other and then emerges this sort of overall pattern and you can imagine the exec team going what what what's going on here we we explained this perfectly well and 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 yet people seem to be i don't think they've understood i think we need to go and repeat the message because that's how complex adaptive systems, I'm being very obviously simplistic, but it's about the emergence of change from local interaction, people making their own sense of things. And one of the things about that perspective is it says you cannot control change. You cannot control how people make meaning of your mantra if you're on the senior exec team. And that's a different way of looking at systems. And that's all, you know, complex adaptive systems theory. Now, if you think about, boom, I think... Um, I don't know what happened in Amsterdam, but in the UK, um, uh, I, I know this because I was just, I'm in Sydney, but this happened in Bondi Beach in Sydney. And the same thing happened on Bournemouth Beach, where in the midst of it all, where we're all locked down, the beaches are just flooded with people. You look at pictures of Bournemouth Beach, it's, it's amazing. The cars couldn't get into Bournemouth. Um, Bondi was the same. And of course, leaders got really angry about this. 
not everyone, but mostly, has got really angry about it because why are they being so stupid, right? This makes no sense. Um, now, from a comp and, and they are not doing as they're told. And that is the control thing. Now, from a complex adaptive systems perspective, you may nevertheless take actions to attempt to change this behavior, but you're also going to be fascinated as to why they're on the beach. You're going to be absolutely fascinated and you're going to be down there on the beach, if not literally, you're going to be, you're going to be wanting to understand not just the one perspective of all these mad people who went to the beach. You're going to understand all these multiple perspectives according to which it's okay to go on the beach and lie quite close to people in the midst of a pandemic. You're going to want to know because it's only by asking questions and finding out that you're going to understand better how to influence the behavior of all these people. So if you think through this lens, you can't control. That's not a fatalistic perspective because it says you can influence. And by the way, you do influence as a leader because everything you say um, gets fed into the, the, the system and is interpreted by people, et cetera, et cetera. So that would, that would be like the, 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 the complexity um, perspective. And we call that like the complex perspective, complex, um, uh, the complex systemic way of thinking about things. Yeah, nice. And then, and then there's also the the meta systemic, yeah? yeah. So the meta systemic perspective says, let's just remind ourselves here: organizations are not systems in the same way that a hot water system is, or a living system, or indeed any other real system. It's just not a system because you're talking about human beings, and human beings are not passive they're not like the cogs in a wheel or the circuit in a computer or or, or or an organ in your body human beings are alert aware and conscious and make all sorts of decisions that are unpredictable they're just unpredictable they're impossible to predict indeed if you were to watch um a bunch of humans and tell them that you're watching them they'll just go and behave differently just when they know they're being watched human beings are unpredictable and spontaneous and 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 they are not components of a system. Um, teams, you know, I'm, I'm, one thing at the moment I'm doing now is trying to transport all this thinking in an accessible way into team coaching. Teams are not real. There, there's nothing real about a team. A team is a social construct. It's, it's a social construct, and we create this social construct because that makes people feel close to each other. But it's not real. And this, and any team coach will tell you, who's been around for a while, you can just go and ask the people in the team who's in the team, and you'll get different answers. You know, that finance person who comes to help us with the budgets on the team, and then the next person, no, they're not on the team. They just come to help us with our finances. It's the, the, there is no such thing as a team. There is no such thing as, a, as an organization other than as an employing entity. And that's really important to understand because when we, when we talk about things as if they were real systems, we get a bit preoccupied with boundaries. We get a bit, when we're in team coaching, we get a little bit preoccupied with the dynamics between people in the team and perhaps undervalue all of the other conversations that these people are having outside of the team and how they impact on, on, on what the team, in inverted commas, is doing. Similarly, in organisations, I bumped into somebody pre-pandemic who said, this firm I'm working for is an uh, interesting place. And when I spoke to him, it became apparent he spent 80% of his day at customer sites talking to customers, and that's, that's with whom he was making meaning. The meaning he was making of the organization, its environment, was not particularly impacted by the people within the boundaries of the organization. So when we look at life through this perspective, it says 
the, 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 the systemic perspective is useful. By the way, the linear systemic perspective is useful. I don't want to, right? Uh, there's this lovely quote from um, you know, this old, uh, if it looks like a duck and it sounds like a duck, it's probably a duck. If someone's poking me in the side with a stick and I get them to stop poking me in the side with a stick, it stops hurting. So all of these perspectives are useful, but, but the more of these pers perspectives that we have access to, the more of these ways of thinking we have access to, the more able we will probably be to manage complexity. Does that make sense? Yeah, that because that that's the big. The, I have a whole set of questions that arise now about application of these perspectives, you know. And yeah. uh, that was one of them. Is like, um, so I'm hearing that, yeah, in different circumstances, knowing knowing when to apply one way of thinking in yeah. a certain situation. So maybe you could say something about, you know, I'm going to ask like a whole slew of questions here, but um, how might we uh, begin to support leaders we're with to apply the right kind of thinking? How can we, can we assess, you know, what's needed and nudge yeah. their thinking? What's the role of a coach in this? You know, maybe you could speak into some of those yeah. questions. Yeah. This is where I think we coaches sometimes move straight into the practical and what's what are the what you know what's my process now you know what, what 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 do i actually do about this how do i assess how do i diagnose how do i well you know there's a couple of things come up there firstly who are you as a coach to assess how how the leader is thinking who are you to assess what's the right way to think um that doesn't sound like coaching to me that that sounds like not the way i would articulate coaching it sounds uh -huh. something rather different at the same time um Here's the thing, the way that we think is, is heavily influenced by the conversations we have with other people. And which means that the way that we think is heavily influenced by the way that other people think. And that, when you think about it, that, that's kind of, yeah, it is. Which means I, as a leader, am heavily influenced, or I'm gonna be influenced by the way that my coach thinks. Not because my coach is sitting down giving me a lecture on five ways of thinking systemically, but my coach is going to ask me questions. They just are. And there is no neutral question. As a coach, my questions come from somewhere. They don't come from a neutral place. They come from somewhere. What one of the challenges to a coach, I think, is how self-aware are you as a coach? Do you, do you know where your questions come from? That's you know one issue. But when it comes to the thinking systemically piece, my, my, where, where my focus is, is less on, What's my diagnosis and, and how do I decide this? How do I decide that? It's more around how do I, how do I um, enrich the way that I'm thinking? Because if I, if, if, I, if I believe, and this is a big if, it's what I believe, I believe that the way that um, leaders think very much determines uh, the things that they say and the things that they do. And, and I do believe that the way that we think, the way that a lot of leaders think is somewhat restricted not every leader has access to those five ways of thinking so if i do have access to those ways of thinking we, and, and that in itself is just a metaphor and a model um you know me sitting here talking about five ways of systems thinking may be really quite limited there may be ways six seven and eight that i'm not aware of that i want to go and find out about because i'm curious and i almost i think almost have an obligation to go and find out because every question i ask comes from somewhere if i if i've really kind of gone looking for this this kind of systemic perspective some of my questions, I'd have to 
try and do I don't have to match the question to anything. I just have to ask the question I think is going to be intuitively most useful in the moment. Yeah. And I'm more likely to be asking those challenging questions if I've challenged myself first to, to be able to think in that way. And I actually think that's all you need to do. I just think you need to really expand your own thinking and then that will inevitably show up in the questions that you ask and the way that you challenge the people that you work with. Yeah, because how, how can we begin to challenge our thinking? Because, you know, when I said before about making assessments, it's like, I know that you said that's not like coaching, but in some way, in some way and I think then you said this, but we're always making assessments, you know? And so actually my role is to become aware of my assessment making yeah. um, and, and to acknowledge that's what I do and yeah. um, then be able to maybe work with it consciously and expand my assessment yeah. making, sense making. Yeah. So I'm just, I'm just curious, like how might we as coaches begin to expand the way we um, think, you know, so that we can include some of these, yeah. uh, like, you know, the complex and the metasystemic and, and the, the two, the two uh, words that come to mind for me are uh, knowledge and reflection. So, you know, why did I set out to do, you know, I've been working on this systemic stuff for the last couple of years. I've done various conferences and, and, and what have you and written the book. And part of the reason I do that is it just helps me focus my own thoughts and it gives me something to then go and present to other people and hear their response. So it's, it's so, so part of this, you know, the last 18 months, two years has been about me seeking to become more knowledgeable and to understand better a whole field of thought that I really didn't have access to. This is where I come back to coaching as a profession. One of the characteristics of a traditional profession is it has its own knowledge base. Well, really? You, you want to create your own knowledge base? Isn't it, is that really helpful in terms of you know, going out there and being really fascinated about what people are saying in other worlds outside of coaching? So it's about expanding your knowledge base. The same time, but that's not enough. You know, that's not enough just to sit there with this kind of um, having read 50 books and being able to. It's, it comes back to Stacey's piece around practical judgment, which is around continuing to do. There's this piece around learning. There's this thing, of, not just through reading books, but but talking to other people by listening to podcasts, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm committed to learning and I'm committed to reflecting on my own practice. And that's where I think supervision comes in. People define supervision in really quite different ways. For me, the essence of supervision is, is that space for me to reflect on my own practice in the company of others. And the, in the company of other bits is really important because that's where I'm going to get challenged in, in a very constructive way on the sense that I'm making of my own practice and the work that I do. I mean, um, I couldn't agree more with you, by the way, uh, this whole thing about when something becomes insular, you know, and um, I, like, I think, I mean, I remember talking to Dave Snowden a while back as well. And he, that's one of his big number one recommendations. He's like, you know, get learning um, in fields outside the field of coaching, because that's where you're going to grow the most and it's going to expand your thinking. And I, I feel the same way, you know, that if you're only reading coaching books and, uh, you're only learning about coaching and it, it can start to, you know, I mean, I don't know if this is a good metaphor, but I remember I was a drum and bass DJ. Yeah. And um, maybe it translates, maybe it doesn't, but there was a point where drum and bass came about and it was incredibly open, you know, it was borrowing from all areas and it was fresh and alive. And then at some point it just became insular and then yeah. you could feel it. The music died. Yeah. It just, 
Uh, and so, you know, we, it behooves us to keep that kind of aliveness, you know, which is, I think it is systemic. Mm -hmm. It is those nodes of life and evolution. You know, I'm getting a bit philosophical here, but it, but it's kind of an, an evolutionary impulse that's embedded within this field that I think yeah. has brought it to where it is. We just reminded me to talk about music of punk rock. When, when punk rock happened in sort of 1976, you know, it, it was all about, uh, kind of it, freedom of expression and, and anybody came to it. Then within about a year, everybody was wearing black leather jackets and had a mohawk. And if you weren't, you weren't a member of the club. It, it was, it, it suddenly switched from something very vibrant and open and, and exploratory to something incredibly closeted and closed. Yeah. And uh, um, I'm, I'm still like, would love, I know this is, um, you know, um, what's the word, but it's like, uh, the whole thing about this is we're not talking about cookie cutter kind of prescribed ways of um, doing this work, but I'm, I'm just curious for you, if you, if you could speak into this, like, how do you find your, like, what kinds of things do you find yourself saying to leaders um, that, that, um, you know, is perhaps um, more systemic or, or um, metasystemic ways of, you know, inviting them into that way of seeing the situation. And I get there's no like prescribed questions, but. Yeah. I yeah. think it comes back to that, again, the old adage around meeting the client where you think they are or where you yeah. experience them to be. Again, I don't want to get into diagnosis because it's, it's, it's just a question you're inevitably, it's a useful question to ask yourself as long as you hold the answer lightly. So I think, as I said, you, you, my, my kind of primary answer to that is one I gave you before, which is what questions are coming to mind for me here? If I'm hearing a story which to me sounds quite linear systemic, first of all, I'm just, I'm just being terribly aware that this thing called linear systemic is, is a creation of my own, you know, not, not necessarily my own, but it's, a, it's somebody's creation. Uh, it's not real, but 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 I'm that, nevertheless that's what I'm hearing. So then I may ask a question that that that, that kind of is is poking and prodding to see if you know what might be in the the, the, the non-linear. So imagine you're coaching one of these world leaders at, at, at the beginning of COVID, and they're talking about the ten to hundred. You might say something like, "So so you're saying that ten cases, if you do nothing, is going to turn to a hundred cases in ten days? Not more than that." What, what's what's um on what basis have you formed that and you're but you're asking the question from a space of genuine curiosity yeah um similarly if you if you're if you're working with someone who's in any of those first three disciplines and you can hear the control then then maybe you're you're, you're playing back saying wow i can hear that control is really important to you i can hear that the, the, the that 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 need to be able to control and predict the future is really important is 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 that always going to be is that always going to be useful but the question again isn't coming from a kind of coercive, um, manipulative space. It's coming from a genuinely curious space, because you yourself have inhabited that space where 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 there are different ways of looking at things. Occasionally, you know, you will you may get into a conversation with a leader who just really wants to know about all this stuff and and says, "Please, can you send me a book or this, that, and the other?" In which case, yeah, great. But you, you of course, you'll do that. But but it's but not if they don't ask. I mean, that's what I mean. As a coach, you're kind of intuitively responsible. You're, you're always, in, I think, you're always intuitively responding to the moment and, and behaving in the way that's going to be most, you think is going to be the most useful. Hence, you know, you, you saying there isn't a prescriptive single, you know, way of uh, behaving. 
Yeah. And um, I can obviously see, well, I can see there are links here between um, some of the developmental stages outlined by people like Keegan, you know, where, yeah, one of the trends there is um, that you're able to, you, you're not focused on control as much as a leader, you know, mm-hmm. more on, on influence and relationship that becomes one of the primary drivers. Um, and I, I wonder about, like, it seems to me that there, there are maybe schools of coaching now that are emerging, which are in response to seeing human beings as being complex mm. systems or even meta systemic systems, you know, that you actually, um, you, you know, so, so what I mean by that is, um, you know, there's this idea of like close the gap coaching, you know, that um, this is the leader I am now. And this is the, this is where I want to be as a leader. And what we're going to do is design you a series of practices and they'll take you to that place. But um, actually um, people questioning the, that how effective is that? Does that really work? You know, is, are there different ways of being with our clients, which allow their organic growth to take place, you know, that are more based upon, you know, what the, some of the things you've said, you know, like being in touch with my intuition and all my senses as I'm with this client and all my training and expertise, but I'm responding to them very much in the moment based mm. upon what's emerging r- rather than, hey, we're mm. going to try and get to this place that we predetermined what it is, you know. So I, I kind of see that emerging in the field too. I don't know what oh, comes up for you around that. I think it was Bicer, wasn't it? This was like years and years ago. Who who talked about the value of looking at who am I now as opposed to who do I want to be? Um, and I think that plays into it um, because the more I, I come to understand or hypothesize around who am I now, the more more alert I am going to be to the change that emerges in myself. And if you look at it through a complexity perspective, never mind a metasystemic perspective, that change is going to be emergent because because one of the premises of of a kind of contemporary change theory is the meaning I make of the world is social. My my identity as an individual is social. Um, Again, in in the Western world anyway, we we have this whole thing around we're autonomous beings and again, surrounded by boundaries, but the meaning making is social, our identity is social. Um, If somebody comes up to me and says, Paul, you know, I know you think you're a wonderful people leader, but I've spoken to three people in your team this week and they're all really quite unhappy because you do X, Y, Z. I'm going to feel threatened by that. That's why feedback is so threatening. It's not because I necessarily reject it. It's because it's, it's threatening the, the hypothesis of who I am. And that, and that hypothesis of who I am is constantly evolving and changing. In, in, you know, in, in, in conjunction with other people. So saying, you know, this is, who I, this is who I am now, this is the gap, and this is where I want to be. I think it's okay, as long as you recognize that you're, the definition of who am I now and the definition of where you want to be are going to be constantly changing and shifting. And you, you as a coach, don't try and hold somebody to some commitment they, they, they wanted to be three weeks ago, um, when, when that, that is obviously going to change and emerge. Yeah. Yeah. And there's something interesting about, yeah, exactly. I'm not saying that we throw away that, who do I want to be? Because there's something, there is something evolutionary in that question, but it, for me, where it becomes powerful is like, and how does that impact you right now? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So we, we get out of that like imagined place we're going to get to in the future, yeah. but we feel like, okay, and what does it, what impact does it have right now in this moment? Yeah. Well, my, my expression of who I want to be and, two years time is actually an expression of who I am now. Right. I think I 
saying, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. Yeah, um, aside from asking you about, you know, where we can find out more about your work and your book, I'd just love to touch into a couple of things. One, you mentioned team coaching, and um, I also would love to, I know in your, you mentioned a series of movies that could be good for people to watch that reflect the different, and I think that's something, you know, that, that can speak so much to us, so... Maybe you could speak to both the team coaching and the movies. Oh, well, let me do the movies first because that's the easy one. In in the I probably shouldn't say because we've got a virtual book launch happening next week, and we're going to get people. To, we're going to show clips of the movies and get them to match the movies to each way of thinking. Um, so I don't know what you know when this podcast comes out, but it won't come out by then, so we won't give anything away. So yeah, they'll be on the website. So there's a website just for the book, which is I think is called systems five ways five being the number systems five ways.com and and it's got the five movies on the website and matches them to the five ways and it's just a fun way of doing it right because you can just watch a movie one night for every night for a week and and tell yourself you know so yeah so the the movies are if i remember them rightly a groundhog day um the butterfly effect mr nobody which is a really good film that's not so well known a film called chaos theory um, and then I couldn't find a film to really reflect the metasystemic, but there's some brilliant quotes from the Dirk Gently series, which, which I just think are, are really cool. So you can match, yes, yes that's, that's the uh, premise. And it, and, and it was not an original premise because there's a paper by, from some guys somewhere in Scandinavia where they came up with three of these films and matched them to three of their categories. And I just added um, Groundhog Day and Dirk Gently to just, you know, to to illustrate the five the five ways of thinking that are in the book cool nice okay great team coaching in five minutes this is something that i'm now (laughs) writing an article on but um you just have to start with here's a couple of things i'll just talk about a couple of aspects of it number one if you look at a lot of the team coaching models that are out there they're really very focused on on and, and quite narrow compared to the broader literature and what constitutes an effective team. And it's really interesting. So if you look at um, Ruth Wagaman's work, for example, she, she says, you know, we should be, she reckon, I can't remember, you know, that if, if you want a team to be really effective, put 60% of your effort into getting into selecting the team, 30% into getting the launch right, and 10% in actually coaching them. And you go, well, if that's the case, why are we coaches not, not actually spending more time in the design of the team and the launch of the team if you want to be really useful. And I think the answer partly, lots of answers to that, is we tied ourselves in knots a bit by saying some of the early definitions around team coaching are, are we, you're only team coaching if you're working with the intact team. Well, you know, you only get to work with the intact team after it's being built and, you know, just before the launch. So we're, we're, we are tying ourselves in knots a little bit but again, trying to create this thing called team coaching and, and rather than going, well, let's just look at team development more broadly because there's all this lovely stuff out there, but we've gone very quickly into trying to define this thing. And I, and I do think that where we are now, when we look back in five years' time, I think it'll be quite different. So there's that piece around boundaries and the impact it has on our thinking, which I think has been quite narrowing. The second thing is, if you look at, um, if you look at this from a metasystemic perspective and say there is no such thing as a team, then what's team coaching all about? And then you start thinking, thoughts come to your mind like, well, actually, what am I trying to do here? If I've got 
six people in a room, because the essence of team coaching as defined, it seems to me, is you're helping people work on a common issue, right? All right, so now I've got six people in the room who all want to talk about this thing. Great, I can work with them in a useful way. But I need to just bear in mind that tomorrow we might be talking about a different issue and it'll be a different six people. And I'm not going to get my knickers in a twist about, um, oh dear, the team's just changed. Or hang on, these six people were talking about the issue yesterday and that's the team and now we're talking about this different issue. And then why, haven't, why are they not included? So this, this notion of team can really, again, um, mess us about. This, this linear thing about composing a team, having a team launch, very linear. Well, you know, there's a lot of teams, there's a professional services firm where I work where most people are in at least six or seven teams and they drop in and they drop out. There's never a launch. I mean, they're just continually dropping in and dropping out. The composition of the team is continually changing. If, if there is such thing as a launch, it's happening all the time. Um, so... The, the way that we've defined team coaching up until now, when you look at it through the metasystemic perspective, looks terribly linear. So how do we move all this stuff and our thinking into a space that's less linear and reflects the way that a lot of teams operate without throwing the bathwater out? You know, Because um, as I said, this isn't about trashing linear systemic or non-linear. It's about having access to different ways of thinking and being able to look through all of those lenses. And there are times... I think a lot of the literature at the moment around team coaching makes a lot of sense through those linear systemic and, and non-linear systemic perspectives, but all very first order. Um, I think there's a, there's a whole narrative and it's already out there around where we've got to look at team coaching through, through some quite different lenses. If, 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 if we decide that actually team coaching is a useful um, thing to call it anyway. Yeah. And just, um, before I ask you about where we can find out about your work, do you know of some resources you'd recommend about team coaching off the top of your head? You seem pretty good at pulling the names up. Um, you know, that are, that is thinking in those later. So there's lots of good stuff. And rather than trying all... Um, so the paper I'm writing should be out fairly soon. Some, one of the reasons I, I always sort of point people towards the papers that I write is not because... I'm saying go read what I've written. It's because of reference lists, so, you know, that yeah. ooh, go read that stuff. And and so and then um, also on our website, um, there's a lot of free materials. We publish white papers every two months, and, and again they're referenced and they're free. So I I go and have a good sniff around the website, or, or anybody's you know can send me an email, um, and I'm happy to send them. I just don't you know it take me a while to work because the list the list of references for this article I'm writing team coaching is like. It's very long. Yeah. No, that's great. Well, you know, we can go and find out more there. That's brilliant. So, so yeah, what, what's the website address and the name of your new book? And we can find well, out web, more about your work. The website is ccorgs.com.au. That's C-C-O-R-G-S, ccorgs.com.au. And we have a section on there called, uh, perhaps a little bit presumptuous, uh, Thought Leadership, where we have the journal articles for those that want to read journal articles but also the white papers which is where we try and make this thing really accessible and people can be on the distribution list for that and we don't do any advertising off the back of it so there's the free stuff on the website and then um, the book is called coaching systemically five ways of thinking about systems that's published by Routledge I think it's just come out um, and then there's a website systems5ways.com as I said, the five is just the number five. And there's a bit of a, you know, there's some some uh, testimonials in there. There's the movies in there. And there's a page where you can just click into the Routledge website and um, buy the book if you want to. 
Great. Yeah, there's a great testimonial from Jennifer Garvey Berger on the back of it, um, which many of our listeners will know her work as well. So, um, yeah, Paul, I just want to say a big thanks. I found this a really, um, uh, really interesting, enriching conversation. And, uh, you know, I'd feel like we could get you on again to talk about some other stuff, you know, really. This is actually, for me, a way of working systemically metasystemically is to bring people like you on who are you know we're all nodes of like sense making and uh, you're out there sense making in the world and now you're sharing your thoughts with everybody around the world and I think that's really that's something I'm very passionate about so thanks so much for doing the work you do. Uh, thank you for inviting me Joe I really appreciate it thank you. Here we are. We're at the end of the podcast. Just a, a heads up again, if you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about other things we create, then head to coachesrising.com. Put your name in the sign up box there. You'll also find some of our other offerings, our online trainings for coaches there. And just want to end by wishing you well. And I'll see you again next time.